Make sure you don't miss any future podcast episodes from Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes to subscribe or search for Post Show Recaps in your favorite podcast app. Hi, Antonio. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, we're about to record our final podcast about the leftovers ever. What does that make you feel? Leftovers? Leftovers. Leftovers. Oh, it makes me sad. Makes uh, sad. It, makes, it makes me feel... I don't know. Lots of things. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in a bad space. We're in a but, bad uh, space. But what we're, could cheer us up? We're in a bad space. You know what could cheer us up? Ad space. Let's take some time to talk to our sponsor, True Car, before we hop into this, uh, this year podcast. Well, a new car would cheer me up. That's what I was getting at. But she went with just advertising in general. But well, I would you love said to have bad a new space, car. and I just kind of wanted to rhyme it together. Yeah, that's great. Uh, tell me about True Car, because I would love to have a new car. That would cheer the hell out of me. Yeah, so let's talk about True Car for a second. You know, in order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price you're going to need pricing context information that will empower you to feel confident and guess what antonio with true car you will see what other people in your local market have paid for the car that you want I love knowing personal details about people that are live around me. I like looking into their lives and knowing they overpaid or underpaid for a thing. It helps me keep up with the Joneses. It job. really does, and you love the Joneses. So from there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the car that you want. And True Car is going to show you what other people in your area paid for the car that you want. And now that you know what a fair price is, you can feel confident. Once you register, you're going to see real pricing on actual inventory. It's competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. I know confidence is a big issue for Antonio. Yeah, it's, it's really bad for me. I'm, I, uh, I have a very low opinion of myself. It's very, very bad. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states, including which state, Antonio? New Mexico? Australia? Kentucky? I don't know. Tell me. The state of bliss? The state of being? Uh, state of insanity? State of mind? I don't know. What, what were you setting me up for? Let's go with state of insanity and just uh, end it there and get into our Leftovers podcast. All right, let's do it. Uh, I have a feeling, and I, I can't be sure about this, but I have a feeling the letter M is significant. Might be. Maybe. The Leftovers is over. Actually over. And soon, so will this podcast be over. We are here to say one last Vigorous goodbye to Melbourne, to Miracle, to Mapleton, to Meg, to Matt, to Mary, to Michael, to Michael Murphy, to all the Murphys, to Michael Gaston, who played the BBA, to Margaret Qualley, who played Jill, to Max Richter, who composed the beautiful music, to Mimi Later, to Mazzaro, Antonio Mazzaro. We are saying goodbye to all of those M-words and more here as we sign off for the final time on the Leftovers podcast. How about that, Antonio? Man, magnificent. Where am I, where am I going? Where am I going? Am I you're going, going to, somewhere? You're, you're going to Earth 2. You're going to oh. Earth 2%. Oh, this is terrible. You're going, I better, you're going better pack through, my bag. You're going through. You're going to go through the machine, the machine, and <sighs> you are going to leave behind a, a, a great Antonio Mazzaro fossil that I will treasure forever, that I will bring with me to upstate New York, a place we haven't referenced in a good little while, Antonio. How magnanimous uh, to, to, to for you to go to Mapleton. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm, uh, 
I'm sad it's with a heavy heart, Josh, that, that I do this. But it's also with a light heart. Uh, I love talking to you. It's always fun to talk about the leftovers. This is going to be the last one until uh, the lostovers. Uh, I'm just going to keep planting that flag. Yeah. Uh, by speaking it, it will, it will come into being. But for now, uh, this is it for us on our leftovers podcast. So it is certainly bittersweet. Uh, melancholy, I think, is the right word. Melancholy, uh, indeed. Yeah, and maybe like Maldon, uh, is that how you pronounce that word, or mawkish? Uh, yeah, these are all adjectives, but uh, we can make it uh, something uh, much better than that as well. So I'm, I'm very excited to be talking about uh, The Leftovers one more time with you, Josh. One final time. As promised, uh, around the time of the finale, we recorded our quick takes on the finale. You recorded a feedback show with Rob Sesternino, and then we said that we would do one final goodbye. So here it is. We are recording this at the end of June. This podcast is... Is dropping on July 4th. Happy 4th of July for those of you celebrating. And this also happens to be one full month after The Leftovers ended. Uh, the final episode of The Leftovers aired on June 4th. So one month later, we are looking back at The Leftovers finale. We are looking back at The Leftovers in total. Uh, and again, yeah, this is going to be our final dedicated Leftovers podcast unless a very good reason crops up in the future. Certainly not the last time Antonio and I are ever going to podcast together. But it's still you know it's sad because this is as we've said before on these podcasts the leftovers is where you and i bloomed our friendship you know mike bloomed our friendship this is where (laughs) this is where you and i became buddies uh and so to to even consider the future where we no longer have new episodes of the leftovers to talk about is definitely sad uh but i am i i remain as happy as i was with how this show ended i know that's not the case for everybody but for me this show ended pretty perfectly so if we don't have new episodes to talk about at least what we what we have to talk about now, in my estimation, is still such a phenomenal series of television and the breeding grounds for our great friendship, Antonio. Indeed, and if it is a friendship, hopefully, which will continue to bear fruit uh, in the forms of other podcasts. We talk about mm, Mr. Robot here at Post Show <laughs> yeah. Recaps, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely be... mystery be... Yeah, we'll definitely be talking uh, about uh, other shows here, so we'll get into that later. But uh, we have some Damon Lindelof news up top, don't we? Oh, yeah. I'd almost forgotten about that. Yeah, so since we last talked about The Leftovers, everyone's wondering, what's Damon Lindelof going to do next? It's not Lost 2, unfortunately. Uh, that Son of I'm, Lost. I am sure is still in the future. But no, this was, uh, this was breaking news that, that happened a couple of weeks ago or a week ago or so that Damon Lindelof is apparently the guy that's been tapped to adapt the, the classic graphic novel, the Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons graphic novel Watchmen, uh, which was turned into a Zack Snyder movie, Once Upon a Time, uh, as a television series for HBO. Damon Lindelof is going to be making a Watchmen TV series. And, man, I love me some Damon Lindelof, especially after The Leftovers. But I, I, go, I, I evoke the words of Rorschach, and I say, hmm, at this news. I'm, I'm not sure what to think of all of this. Funny joke. Ha ha. Uh, I am Pagliacci. It is, uh, it's funny, uh, the, the, the Watchmen element of it all, uh, because I don't know, is it going to be one miniseries? Is it going to be a Westworld thing where we do the thing and then we decide, oh, we're going to expand this universe well beyond the source material? Well, I mean, that's How already happened that? in, in the comics. Uh, DC Comics has incorporated a lot of Watchmen mythology. I think that there was a series called Before Watchmen, but none of it has Alan Moore's blessing. Alan Moore could not be more upset about all of this, I would, I would guess. I think that his public stance is a lot of like ambivalence and like whatever. It's a DC property. They could do whatever they want. Uh, 
but I think a lot of comic book purists are not thrilled with the idea of continuing Watchmen. Watchmen is supposed to be a singular artifact. So I don't know. My, my thought on it, Antonio, is if Damon Lindelof wants to pump out one really great season of television that is based on the Watchmen graphic novel, good. Fine, do it. But anything further than that, I'm not going to be happy. I don't. I, but I say that, and like you know, there was only one leftovers book, and that expanded out into you know three really great seasons of television. So who knows? Yeah, but that was because he had Tom uh, Tom Parada right there by his side. I what if Damon want... Lindelof is the guy who can wrangle Alan Moore? Yeah, we don't need season two of Watchmen, uh, Lost Girls. We don't need that. So uh, we have to be very careful with wrangling Alan Moore, I think. Uh, There's some good and some bad that comes with that. So who knows? That would be fascinating. Uh, But it is Damon Lindelof. And at this point, I'd say the man's probably earned a modicum of trust from us. So it would be very interesting to see where that goes. Uh, TBD, obviously, that is in the nascent stages. Early days. It's not even necessarily going to be a thing that exists, let alone his next project. not be a thing that exists by then so who knows you know <laughs> oh, let's God. just uh let's just enjoy the time we have while we have it oh, and God. then let's let's focus on the good instead of the bad anyway so that's exciting uh it's at least it's news so we we have at least a sense of what damon lindelof might be cooking up next but for now let's talk about what he has finished cooking up here in the leftovers our final sign off on the leftovers how are you feeling about everything uh you know a month later antonio still pretty pretty positive pretty thumbs up on what we uh what we witnessed here with the finale the book of nora only more so, yeah. Only more so, and I don't mean to disappoint those who want to hear criticisms, who are want to who want to pick nits. Uh, we gave you Rob Sesternino, we gave you your red meat uh, for nitpicking, and hopefully that uh, did suffice for those of you who did want who did want to pick some nits about the finale or the series as a whole. But with distance, all I'm thinking about are the things that I loved about the leftovers and the interesting things to me about the finale. If you take it at face value, uh, and that's what I'm more interested in doing, just because. I think there's still a lot of there there, and I think we have some good questions and observations from the feedback we received about this finale and about the season and series as a whole that can get into those those questions and answers. So I don't know how much more ado we need. I think we should just jump right into it. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. Yeah, if you're if you're coming onto this podcast and hoping that we're going to be uh, you know critiquing the finale or talking about the things that are bothering us still from the leftovers. I don't think you're going to find any of that. Uh, I do think that this will be a vigorous goodbye uh, in in the in the sense <laughs> yes, that we're our hands are waving <laughs> very yes. strongly. You know, we're we're I think Antonio and I are both on the same page that we're really really thrilled with how the show wrapped up and we're really thrilled with the show overall. So this is going to be more of a celebration of the leftovers than it's going to be any knocking of anything. I was annoyed. I got I got called out for giving the leftovers finale a vigorous hand job uh, during our finale <laughs> podcast, Antonio. And I, what do you want me to do? When Damon Lindelof knocks it out of the park, I'm going to say he knocked it out of the park. And I am the guy who... And you're going to give him a little service. You know, I am the guy who has very famously on these podcasts and other podcasts said, I love Lost to Death. It remains one of my favorite shows of all time, if not my favorite show of all time, next to Survivor. And I'm not a fan of how it ends. I'm not a fan of that final season, let alone how it ends. So when he does does it right i'm gonna say he did it right and i think that he did it very very right with the leftovers so uh f you guy <laughs> as, we, as we record this as we record this it's national handshake day so yes. i think we should focus on that yes. uh, and not focus on uh pushing away let's sure. let's do the let's do the hand actions that are appropriate sure, sure let's do the appropriate hand actions all right so we've got a lot of feedback from you guys still to go through so we're going to talk through a bunch of that stuff that's really going to inform this final podcast here so antonio where do you want to start 
Let's start with some overarching thoughts. Bobby from Jersey says, I want to start out by saying that coming into this finale, I was not nervous about Lindelof sticking the landing. I'm an unapologetic loss defender who loved the end, and I did not think Damon needed to redeem himself. However, for the people who were disappointed with Lost, I hope the leftovers did turn their bitterness sweet because the Book of Nora was so well done in my eyes. As far as the final scene, like you guys said on the recap, whether she was telling the truth or not, it doesn't matter. But one thing I think we can say for sure is that Nora 100% believed the story. I think it's similar to Kevin's experiences in the hotel world in that we don't need the answer since it just matters that it was real to Kevin and it's what he needed to get better. The word I used to describe the Lost finale was beautiful, and if I had to pick one word to describe this finale, it would also be beautiful. I will sign up to get Lindelof any day, and I look forward to the next time. Thanks for all the great coverage. It made the experience of watching the show even better. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, Josh, are you are you on board with that? Nora 100% believes the story, and that's what matters. It, it, what matters is the value that this has to her. Is that right? I mean, I really do think that what matters most is what. how did it land with you? Like, what is your what is your viewpoint on the Nora story do you believe her do you not believe her and if you don't believe her why don't you believe her and what does that mean if you don't believe her and what does it mean if she's lying or what does it mean if she's telling the truth and what does it mean if she actually did go through and what does it mean if it's not true but she does believe it and how do you what do you take away from all of that I think that that is the ultimate takeaway of the leftovers as it had been throughout the best of the show uh, is really that ambiguity and your own interpretations of all of the incredible stuff that's happening on television uh, on on the screen in front of you. So I still think that that holds. For me, yeah, I believe her, and I believe that she believes what she is saying, and I think that that is incredibly important. Um, you know, for me, I, I think I said this during our finale podcast, but the real joy of that whole story to me was like, oh, man, I had never even really thought about, like, what life must be like for the people who are gone. We were so focused on uh, on on the people that we've been watching. We were so focused on a world where 2% of the population departed that we never even thought about a world where it was only populated by 2% of the original population, that whole thing. Um, so I don't know. I, I loved it. I loved it. I, I love this take from Bobby. Uh, I think that it really, you know, I, I disagree with Bobby in terms of the lost thing, but I'm glad that he has a, a two for two Lindeloffing going on in his life right now. Yeah, well, who knows about Prometheus? But yeah, uh, I agree. It is television at least. It is fantastic that uh, that it that it matters to Nora, like we said, and whether or not she believes it. And I'm not sure that I that I need to be on board with that to think about how how important it is to her. And we're going to have a couple good questions about this later because there are some great parallels to draw with Kevin and in his stories in the hotel uh, and everything that uh, that Bobby mentions there with Kevin's experiences. I do think that that matters. And I think that that matters whether or not the story is true or not, which is why I think we were less interested in picking nits because I think the, the more interesting takeaways are what does this mean for the characters? What does this mean for their relationship? Are, are we confident in these things? Uh, what will they draw from it? Will bring them together push them apart etc and we're gonna have a we, we will have a couple of questions about that as i said but it's good to know that uh, that it's being viewed that way chris brannigan says so i was a huge lost fan i love the show i've had many rewatches etc but it doesn't make me feel any better about that ending i hated the last 10 to 15 minutes of that show and i still do that being said going into the leftovers i did not fully expect resolution to a lot of the story but i hope we get as josh said a happy ish end 
ending. I didn't expect an explanation, but at least wanted a conclusion. I got both. I was super happy with the conclusion to the Nora and Kevin story. We found out about his family and all the characters we saw throughout. I loved that aspect. On top of what I expected and hoped for, we also got an explanation for what happened to the 2%. Completely unexpected, and whether Nora is telling the truth or not, it's an explanation that I'm satisfied with. Overall, a great ending to a fantastic show. So here, Josh, we have somebody who hated the ending of Lost and still loved the ending of The Leftovers. So I think there's room for both, it sounds like. Yeah, no, I'm Team Chris Brannigan on that. Like, I've, as I've said multiple times in the past, and even here, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of The Lost ending, uh, even though I love the show still, and I'm so happy that I just love all of the leftovers. You know, maybe not like the first. It, ironically, it's sort of the it's sort of the mirror image, right? Where like I don't love the beginning of the leftovers. You know, I don't love those first four, maybe five episodes until we get into the guest in episode six, uh, and I love it all the way through after that. Whereas with Lost, it's I love basically everything right up until the end. So that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think the thing with the Nora story and sort of the debate on was she lying and, and you know, was she telling Kevin the truth? Was this just another Nora Durst lie? For me, part of the reason why I believe her is I just don't know. I don't think that the show that we were watching, like the final note would be you know, ending on a lie, right? Like ending on a moment of dishonesty. Like that just doesn't feel right with what they're trying or what I, what I felt like they were trying to, to sell us or to, to move us on um, in their final moments of the show. But the other piece of it too is I, I just don't know why you would want to live in the world where you, where you choose to believe that Nora was lying. Like why wouldn't you want to just believe her? Why wouldn't you uh, want to accept that Nora went to this place? Why wouldn't you want to feel like this is a world that exists out there? I just feel like that's like, just the such a happier ending i don't know why you would elect to go with the darker ending when you know that they're never going to give you a definitive answer beyond what they're saying in this one episode in this one scene so i don't know that's 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 part of my stance on it too well there's an interesting why to that and andrew umphrey asked this question so assuming that the finale took place in the real world we know nora went to great lengths to avoid kevin hiding out in a remote corner of the world for many years so why would Kevin even want her back? If an ex-girlfriend basically faked their death and hid from me across the world for 20 years, I think I'd get the hint that she's not interested. I just don't see his motivation and dedication to be with someone who doesn't give a shit about him. Because I uh, think, you know, it's the, Nora, it's the Nora Durst curse, man. You can't get over Nora Durst. How are you supposed to get over Carrie Coon? Well, this is interesting because I, I think there's that. I think there's that element of it. Uh, I also think there's the element where Kevin feels like there is this thing that I screwed up and it was my fault. And I when I went into my deepest self-conscious uh, and I pulled a key from my own heart and did all these crazy things. I was thinking in my dying moments in that world, uh, oh, we really screwed that up. Like, we need to fix that. So, of course, that's the end of his mission. He goes on this great international assassin hotel mission. He finishes this thing. He does this thing, nukes the world. But his his half of his dying words in that scene are like, we really screwed that up. So it isn't just the, the Carrie Coon thing. It isn't just that it's Nora Durst in general. It's Nora Durst in Kevin's world specifically. He can get everything else right, but this is a thing he can't get wrong. And I think that all, you don't have to look uh, far at all. I, in a lot of cases, probably people don't have to look beyond the end of their noses.
is uh, to see instances of people fixating on something they feel like they screwed up and they need to try to fix. So I think that's part of it. But here's another observation from Chris Brannigan again. Chris said, Nora's story of Earth 2% has the 2% having lost everyone, but finding a way to move on and live their lives. While the Earth 98% people still struggle to cope with those who departed every day. In real life, Nora has lost her family, her adoptive Garvey family, her brother, but moved on to a new life in Australia. Meanwhile, Kevin is still surrounded by his kids, their kids, his dad, his ex-wife and friends, and has only lost Nora, and yet struggles to cope and looks for her every year, unable to cope and move on. And I think this is a great observation, that there is actually this... uh, this similarity between the two of them, that there are there are very similar things we can draw. And that, for me, is a, a great observation why it may not matter whether or not Nora was telling the truth to Kevin, why Kevin says you're here now. It is this thing where Nora has been fixated on something that she lost and feels like she can't get back. Maybe even she lost through some metaphysical departure to another world. That's the story that's been told to Kevin about Nora, and yet he, too, just like Nora, is similarly fixated on this thing that he's lost. Nora has moved on from that. Whether or not it was true or not, Nora has moved on from that. She is no longer fixated on returning to her children, but Kevin hasn't. And Nora is the missing piece that will allow Kevin to do that. I think that's a really good observation by Chris. Well, I think what's cool about the show, I I think, you know, it's built on this premise of, uh, you know, losing the people in your life in such a spontaneous, sudden, unexplained way uh, and losing, you know, a, a big swath of the population. And then it's about rebuilding from there and like finding like, you know, rebuilding internally, rebuilding externally. Family is such a huge theme on the show. Uh, there's the whole, uh, you know, the the end of season two with the with the found family in Miracle when Kevin finally comes home. And I think that that has been that has but that had been such a big part of the show that for it to kind of end in that way too of like it's not really about who we lost during the departure. It's about who we're finding since then and even who we're rediscovering since then, like the people that we're revaluing in our life at that point. And I think. You know, Kevin was really not somebody who had lost much, like, personally in the departure. Um, Lori lost a Garvey. Uh, Kevin didn't know about uh, the fact that he had another kid on the way. Um, And I think that for Kevin, really, the big loss ends up being Nora. And for him to spend so much time and spend all of these years searching for her um, is really just like, I, I love that as kind of the companion to that penultimate episode and that love story of going out on the boat and always sailing away. And this time he's sailing towards something and finding something. So, yeah, I find that I love that. I think that that's that's great and really consistent with where the show's bread and butter always was. Yeah, and I do think that for Andrew's explanation, which made me laugh, this is the thing where he feels like he lost Nora to some metaphysical force, that uh, she was then struggling with the same things, and maybe she was blaming herself with uh, the thoughts that she was carrying around with resentment and negativity toward her kids. Kevin directly told Nora, go be with your family. And so he feels, I think, on some level that if she did that, then it's him, and he needs to maybe try to make that right. And so I do think that there is that. Uh, When you talk about the overall themes of the show, as you are, that there is also that very specific instance 
difference between the two of them uh, that, that really does bring them together and put them in a similar place. And I think that that's phenomenal. So I love that. Uh, it is. It does count on Nora having gone through this journey uh, that Kevin is now completing by finding Nora and being back together with her. Nora's journey is an interesting thing to me. Uh, we got most of that in this finale. Of course, it's called The Book of Nora. Vicky sent in this comment. Vicky says, I was confused what it meant when Nora took all the beads off the goat and put them on herself and saved the goat. It seemed to have something to do with scapegoating, but how? Also, why was Nora so freaked out about her doves not immediately returning? And when they finally did, what did that mean to Nora? Why did the nun lying about the guy in the motorcycle bother Nora? I guess for most of it, I'll just have to let the mystery be. Let's unpack that a little bit, Josh. What's up with the scapegoating? We talked about it a little bit. We talked about it with Rob. Do you have any uh, different thoughts here a month out when we've distilled this finale to the basic themes and the basic elements uh, with Nora and Kevin being back together and what that means going forward? What do you think about the scapegoat scene? Well, I think I think what's cool about it is like after she does this, you know, once she's on the other side of the hill, that's when she is going to be able to have the conversation with Kevin. That's when she's finally going to be able to open up to him and tell him what she experienced, if that's how you choose to believe it. For the purposes of this conversation, let's just accept that because that's what you and I both believe, correct? Yes. We buy it. Um, so I think what's cool about that for me, the the scapegoating scene, is she takes all the beads off and she's wearing it. And if those are, you know, if those beads are meant to represent sin and, you know, your uh, your bad thoughts and your bad juju and you're trying to get all of that off of you and onto this goat, she takes it all on. And it's after she takes on the weight of the world, like the weight of all of these different sins, her own and other people's sins, that she's finally able to do the Herculean thing, which isn't just saving this goat. It's finally accepting who she is and that she can open up to somebody else. And that has always been the hardest thing for Nora Durst to do on this show. So I think it's, it's a cool thing. I don't know. I don't know necessarily, you know, the significance of it beyond that, but for me, it represents that she has the weight of the world on her shoulders around her neck at this point in time. And now she's like the strongest person ever. And I, I think that that's really cool. Yeah, I think it serves a lot of masters, and one of them is definitely what you're saying in terms of the direct line from that action to then the the finale, which or to the fin- the final part of the finale, which also fundamentally includes Kevin coming clean to her. And once he comes clean to her, that's when she says, "Do you want some tea?" So there is that part of it as well. But this this finale is also called the Book of Nora. And this is a very messianic action. These are some messy antics that she's getting into when she does this. She's taking on the sins of someone else. Her story that she tells Kevin has those same messianic qualities. She descends to another plane uh, full of people who have, have been unable to do a thing or who are stuck in a certain place or who have been removed or departed from this world. And she then departs from that world and comes back to our world. And that's a very messianic story. That is, if you want to put it on that level, that's Jesus descending to hell and freeing the, the souls and spirits that are there as he ascends to heaven and opens that. There are those opportunities to look at that in incident with the goat through that lens if you would choose to do that so it works on that level as well and then yeah just the general level she refuses the beads at the party she doesn't take them on at that point so she has nothing to give when they're putting them on the goat she has she refuses the sin beads. she refuses to acknowledge that and she doesn't then therefore have any sins to give away 
And so by taking didn't the Sinbeads play a genie in a movie or is yes, that <laughs> it was called it was called Shazam I believe yes yeah. it was uh, and uh, it was written by the people who wrote the Berenstain Bears or no sorry the Berenstain Bears uh, yeah that is uh, that's uh, absolutely what happened I think that uh, Nelson Mandela was in that movie I think he had a big effect on what was going on the uh, but yeah she she takes on the Sinbeads and she becomes a genie no she she does that and. By refusing them initially and then later taking them on from others, not from herself, there is that element of that where she's willing to put herself not at the center of a thing and to say this isn't just about me. There are other people that are in this thing that I'm going to save this goat. Yes, but these are the sins of others that I'm taking on rather than just make this about my suffering and rather than just make this about my plight. I'm going to move on from that and and participate in this world where I don't have to carry around only my baggage, that I'm able to see myself in the context of all of these other things. And that was always an issue for Nora, as you're pointing out. The ability to open up and have those discussions and to be real on that level was always something that she struggled with or that she was was not willing to do on some level. It was important for her to carry around her individual and specific pain. Whether we see her initially, when we first meet Nora in this series, she is giving a speech about her personal loss. That is what she is known as in Mapleton, and that is what she is fighting so much for in the episode that we all love, episode six, when she's a guest at a hotel and she doesn't get her special legacy badge that shows to everyone at the at the conference how specifically impacted she was. So this is also about, I think, her not putting herself at the center of a thing and for her placing herself at this in, in context with all of these other things that other people have. And I think that's a that's a really important part of this. What about the doves? Why is she so freaked out when the doves don't initially return, Josh? Because they're her babies, right? Like, you know, this, yeah, is, this is her thing, right? This yeah. is her family. This is her family. And she's so used to everybody leaving and never coming back. Right. And at least up until now, like she has the doves like specific trained to always come back and now they're not coming back and it's like well come on like not even the doves are gonna stick around so of course you're gonna be exasperated if you're nora durst and everyone you've ever loved has left you Yes, and I think that's a that's exactly right. <laughs> that's perfect, right? Like she can't continue to be. She thinks she she's worried she's a lens. Did she lends the birds away? Like this has always been a concern for her. She's so, like, come on, really? Like yeah. I mean, I'm so cursed too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that I'm Gosh, gonna make. Can the... I have anything? Nothing. Nothing. Where did my underwear go? Why? Nothing. You know, like yes, what's going exactly, on here? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this is bad, but uh, but yeah, that's that's absolutely part. And the nun. Why did the nun lying about the guy on the motorcycle bother Nora? I like looking at that through a religious lens i like looking at that and saying religion is supposed to tell us the truth and when religion lies to us it's a huge letdown when we realize that it might not actually be what these religious pious figures say it should be that actually there may be something more to this that they're lying they're not telling the truth it's all a put on we can't rely on their word i think that's something that would definitely trigger somebody like nora who has searched for that meaning and who is Always, as we've seen, very, very, very uncomfortable with people trying to pull the wool over her eyes. Yeah, no, that's it, something it, she's never been good with. Yeah, like not even necessarily uncomfortable, but like she, like she'll unsheath her sword and she'll go after that. Like she, she loves to attack the lie. She loves to attack the bullshit. Like anytime, like her bullshit detector is just like really, really sharp for everybody but herself. Uh, like she wants to be the best bullshitter on the planet and she doesn't want anyone to give her any competition in that regard. And in this scene, yeah, it's like, don't punk me. 
don't you do it. Don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare try to punk me on this. And then just being like, what? You know, like pulling a ghillie. Uh, it was, you know, <laughs> sorry. I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think it's just like it's too much for her to handle. Like she's just like, mm, F that. That's not good. I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. I think that that's the kind of stuff that really sticks in Nora Durst's craw. Yeah, so I think it's fascinating when you, you put that side by side with the stuff with the pigeons because it is uh it is Nordurst still being Nordurst all these years later in this different realm of existence not necessarily ethereal realm but just a, in a place where she's off the grid she's in Australia she's doing all these things she's not even living as Nordurst she shed that name but she's still the person that she is on some level and I think that that makes her story at the end only more fascinating because she's the person that she is she's the person who's concerned about departure she's the person who hates lying but she's also a person who's able to either through therapy, if you want to believe she wasn't telling the truth or through actual life experience through all the decades and things that she's gone through is able to compartmentalize and move on from the very specific thing that was sticking in her crawl about her family. She can still be a person who hates bullshit. She can still be a person who's worried that she had some impact in the departure and yet still be able to move on in a general way from the things that were dragging her down about her feeling very special or specific or singled out as a person who was specifically harmed by the departure. And I think that that taking the beads on is part of that. And there's all of that. And, you know, maybe there's something else to it. Maybe she's found some spirituality in another way. Brendan Fitzpatrick says, Kevin never wore the fourth suit in the closet from the hotel, right? It could be, and bear with me here, because I may be crazy, that the suit he's wearing at the wedding is the priest suit, but instead of prayer beads, it's wedding beads. Am I effing nuts, or am I better now? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I don't have like the immediate recall on what the on what that fourth suit looked like in the International Assassin I... Hotel. I think it was a priest frock that had the alpha and omega symbol on the the thing that they put around the neck and it was more of a official religious more officially religious garb than the suit he's wearing at the hotel yeah or at the, at the party i'm sorry at the wedding party yeah yeah so i don't know i i <laughs> i mean you might be better now brendan but you also might be effing nuts the leftovers has shown us that two things can be true at once Yes. Yeah. And who knows? He, Kevin and Nora do have a pretty strong come to Jesus talk uh, at the end there. And, yes. They're and both Kevin, the priest. Kevin is Kevinism throughout. So there is that element of it. Uh, and he does have the beads uh, and they're not necessarily prayer beads. But we've talked about. I mean, look, let's look at it this way. If well, Kevin that's took, interesting, actually. I mean, because right. yep, like, Nora cause, takes it on. Well, because there's well, there's also there's the whole Kevinism thing and like the whole idea that Kevin might be this, you know, messianic figure. And it never really goes that way. Like Kevin saves the day, quote unquote, during the, the seven year anniversary of the departure. But everyone by the end of that agrees like, yeah, this whole book of Kevin thing is really freaking stupid. So let's not do that. And so Kevin never wears the priest suit because he never has to. He never ends up going there. And there is also that element, right? They Where leave it. They leave it in the closet. You know, they leave it in the closet to an extent. Uh, however, he if if you want to talk about the beads, uh, if they're prayer beads or otherwise, Kevin does take his sin beads on, uh, and he puts them on the goat, presumably. And then Nora does end up taking Kevin's sins specifically as part of that larger group. So there is that relationship as well. And if you want to get into Jesus himself or the story of Jesus in the Bible being uh, part divine, part human, and bringing that with him to earth, but also the humanity. And, and in, in his deepest, darkest moments, having doubt of faith and having all of those things play out in his life 
uh, there are these very interesting connections because it is the book of Nora where maybe Nora is taking on that role to an extent that she is taking part of Kevin with her when she does that. And it is Kevin's beads and Kevin's sins. So there is that connection as well. Whether or not that makes Kevin a religious figure or not, your mileage may vary. But Kevin was a religious figure throughout this season. He maybe never wore that specific suit that was in the closet, and he maybe never wore it in that world. Uh, But he certainly was that in many people's eyes throughout the season. So I think there's some element of that that is fulfilling. And when it says, first know thyself and adorn accordingly, or whatever the exact phrase is, uh, I think it's fascinating to look at Nora through that lens. Uh, Colin Stone, our great friend of Post Show Recaps, had talked about how he thought Nora would take on the guilty remnant garb from that closet and we saw her smoking throughout the season and wearing the white robes and saying stop wasting your breath which she even says to this nun in the finale and I'm more interested in the idea that that we all have these various aspects of ourselves we all have these suits that we can put on some parts of our personality may lean into the uh, rule following or rule keeping uh, police aspect of it some may be the suit the international assassin where we play dress up and live a life that really isn't necessarily ours from time to time some of it may be where we 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 find uh, some something in common with the guilty remnant where we just want to stand out and troll something or or just really stand out against something and then there is the spiritual aspect of life so i like the idea that we can all wear these suits at different times and that it isn't specifically the suit it's the idea that that's a part of your personality that might shine through uh and i think nora showing the guilty remnant part but also the perhaps messianic or spiritual part in this finale is really meaningful to me. What would be uh, in your closet, Antonio? What would be the four outfits that are hanging up in your closet if you were to visit the International Assassin Hotel? Oh, my gosh. I, I feel like this would be a better answer for you. Uh, I don't know. Probably like uh, something that a rock star would wear. Batman suit. Uh, no clothes. Like just an empty birthday hanger. Birthday suit. Birthday suit. Birthday suit. Yeah. And then, uh, and then just probably like... Uh, like just a white T-shirt and shorts, which is what I'm wearing right now, which is what I tend to wear most of the time. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I would like to have a uh, professional suit in my closet anymore. So that's where I'm at right now. What about you? I would have a professional suit in there. I feel like there's an occasion for it. You got to go out to like a fancy party or a wedding or bar mitzvah, you know, yeah. funerals. <laughs> that's when I'm wearing the Batman suit too. That's but right. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then I'll go Superman. Uh, so oh we- boy. You know, when I was a young kid, actually, this is a true story. Uh, I used to change in and out of a Superman costume like every five minutes and drive my parents crazy and my grandmother crazy. Like I would just go from Clark Kent to Superman in an instant, six to midnight, uh, <laughs> just constantly, constantly changing. And it was uh, it was great. It was really fun. So, yeah, so the Superman outfit, that's going to come on board. Uh, I'll have the I'll have the regular suit as well. Um Maybe, uh, maybe the birthday suit as well. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go nakes every once in a while, and uh, every twice in a while. Probably just like I don't know, like some like a gray T-shirt. You know, yeah, we're t- pretty, we're pretty basic, boring uh, bitches. Apparently, gray, like, this gray is T-shirt, gray, gray T-shirt and jeans. Maybe I'll use the dress shirt from the suit every once in a while, and hopefully that'll be, uh, you know, like plaidish because I do like my plaid. Oh yeah, no tweeds, uh, no no uh, no tweeds in mine or yours. So that's no. good. Yeah, yes. I don't know. It's a fascinating to think about these these possibilities. The leftovers creates this world where you have to uh, you have to think about yourself, and, but you have to also think about what's created. And I, I think this is a good time to talk about Earth Two, uh, the Earth Two Percent, uh, as I as I think uh, Charles uh, Bickle may have uh, coined for us. 
Uh, Charles Bickle says, with the return of Marklin Baker to Earth 2%, the now complete cast of Perfect Strangers can finally have their reunion show. Oh, Josh, yes. That's this is great. all the rage these days. They're well, bringing things back. I'm very excited about the prospects of Earth 2% and like who is there and what are they up to and like what levels of fame they are now. Like what new levels of fame are they achieving? Like Bourdain is there. Like I, I got to imagine like, you know, if he had no reservations before, like he doesn't need reservations now. <laughs> No, no way. Honestly, he might have just gone back to cooking fully because who there are I guess a lot of celebrity chefs did depart. So they're the food in Earth two percent would seem to be great. What about Shaq? I think the NBA is probably just Shaq and a bunch of short. Now people wasn't Shaq are... in a in a genie movie as well? Ah yes, he, he was in a genie movie. <laughs> it is called Kazam. That did happen in Earth ninety eight percent. I Got think it. that I think that Shazam only happened in the Earth two percent. Maybe right. that's maybe we're drawing it. Maybe maybe we're we're cracking the case here, Josh. You got to imagine that Gary Busey is the president of the United States in Earth two percent. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also the president in Earth ninety eight percent, but that's another matter. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's entirely likely. Uh, we are currently recording this on June 29th, and this podcast has been released on July fourth, and we do not know if that is a dated reference or not. Yeah, it may well be. Uh, it may well not be the case. Like when things may have changed, things could have changed. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, who else? I'm trying to think of uh, some of the other the other. We, we, the Perfect Strangers reunion is great because people will want the nostalgia factor. They'll want to remember the things from Earth 98 percent that were that were true and pure. Uh, and so I think that that's a hilarious thing to think about. That might be the most popular show on TV if we're being honest. The Perfect Strangers reboot is like maybe the only show on TV. Right. At this right. Point. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that would ultimately be hilarious because uh because they're just I mean what other like that that's a full show. Like you could totally do it. Uh Condi Rice I think was one of the people who departed so she might be president. Um, yeah. J-Lo is there so we just have uh we just have uh J- just Jenny from the block. Maybe she's just returned to that person persona in the Earth 2%. We do have we did have a pope I think. It wasn't a great pope. I think it was the Nazi pope. So that's uh that is what it is. That's on not that great. Front. That's not great. Not a great look. I think Bonnie Raitt uh, was one of the people who departed. So J-Lo and Bonnie Raitt are probably doing a lot of collabs. That would be pretty fun. That would be fun. Uh, I'd listen to that. President Gary Busey is great. Uh, So I think that that's really, really good. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, I'm not I'm not sure if I remember who else uh, who else departed. It was a lot of it was a lot of food personalities, wasn't it? Like a lot of celebrity chefs, I think. Yeah. And so I just think that this would be really, really funny uh, to think about Earth 2 percent. Let's ask another question about Earth 2 percent. Chris Brannigan again says Nora tells Kevin when she saw her husband and kids, he was with a pretty lady in Mapleton. We know one pretty lady who departed in Mapleton could Doug, Nora's departed husband, now be with the mystery woman Kevin was sleeping with during Ooh, the departure. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm just going to let's canonize that right now. That is exactly what happened. Uh, right, firing it out of a cannon. Firing okay. it out of a cannon in Earth 2%. Nora's husband and Kevin's one-time lover have found each other. And isn't that just perfect? Isn't yeah, it's meant to darling? be. Yeah, it's kismet, right? Like it is perfect because the two of them together and Nora and Kevin together, it really, really fits. That's uh, great. That's great. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Uh, that better that than uh, 
Better that than Doug hooking up with Lori's fetus. Uh, that's oh, God, saying. dude, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe somebody carried it no, to term. It's decades It's decades it. later. Maybe somebody stop. carried it to term. It's fine. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm washing my hands free of that one. That's all on you, Antonio Mazzaro. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I, I'll own it. I'll own it. Uh, but yeah, that is, uh, that. I like Earth 2%. I think it's fun. I think it's funny to imagine. Rob was concerned, Josh, with where are the bees? Like, where are the bees, Rob? Like, where are the bees in Earth 2%? Uh, so who knows where that where that's going on? Well, where uh, are the animals in, in uh, Earth two percent? Did animals depart? Do we know about this? They're not our dogs anymore. I think some of them did, right? Because we know that uh, we know that the the psychic chicken uh, was the only chicken to survive in his village. Uh, so if Tony the psychic chicken is the one left, or uh, then the rest of the chickens left. So I do think animals departed, uh, but not all of them, obviously. And I don't know what the percentages were of animal departures, but I do think some animals departed. We saw. That a lot of the animals who witnessed the departure, season one was heavily focused on this, right? We had the dogs losing their minds. We had the deer running around everywhere and wreaking havoc throughout Kevin's world. And the deer is actually what brought Kevin and the pretty lady together. So the animals were a, a very key part of season one, less so in seasons two and three. Uh, departing animals is is not really something that's prevalent. Uh, but animals throughout the leftovers. Let's let's uh, let's take a sidebar for a moment. We had Frasier the lion. That was a big thing. I love uh, Frasier. We can say Frasier because it's before midnight yes we can say well i'll say it after midnight i'm ready to i'm ready to take on whatever that was yeah so (laughs) but yeah i mean it didn't look like it was going to end poorly for matt is all i'm going to say on that front but uh (laughs) but yeah uh, we had we had tony the chicken uh and that that's a that's pretty solid tony the chicken was sent kevin senior on a whole vision quest throughout australia what was the name of kevin's dog the dog that he rescued and ran away from jarden at the end of season two do we remember uh, no i don't meathead or something i don't really remember i made that up i have no idea what kevin's dog's name was but we had kevin's dog that was one of the ugliest dogs i've ever seen if i'm being honest but he's a sweet Uh, sweet dog yeah ish like he certainly wasn't a sweet dog in season one i think we maybe came around in season two but uh, they aren't he was a good boy he was a good boy he was a good boy yeah 12 out of 10 would pet for sure uh but yeah that is uh we had kevin's dog we had the deer throughout season one what other animals are we missing the birds the doves Oh, yeah. Oh, the bird in Erica's uh, uh, buried box as well. The That's bird right. that she was continuing to bury. The bird that Virgil kills in the International Assassin Hotel that he smashes with his hand. That's right. Uh, I got it. I got it. Yeah. So we have that. I'm trying to think of what other uh, The actual other lion that kills David Burton. Um, oh, that's Frazier. Oh, that's the that's the reverse Frazier. That's right. the, the would-be Frazier. Yeah. The that's would-be uh, Frazier. Yeah, that's pretty strong. So yeah, we I like animals in the leftovers. We uh we did we did we did a lot of fun things with animals in the leftovers. The lion is is probably my top if we had to power rank them. Uh, Frasier, uh, if you will, uh, the num the 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 erstwhile Frasier is probably my favorite one yeah. just because of how fantastic that was. You uh you had said recently that the more we're just kind of sidebarring now. You had said recently on Twitter uh, there was a great conversation that was happening with Alex Koontz and Noah and a bunch of other people weighing in with their with their lists of like their favorite episodes of The Leftovers. Uh, and I think that you had said that it's a Matt 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 world might be your second favorite episode of the whole show. Do you do you hold to that? Like what what's the give me the takes on that. Yeah, and I think there's there's a possibility of ascendancy from that one. Uh, with wow, that might end up being your favorite one overall. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I you love that naked Frenchman on the submarine. That's uh, f- clearly my favorite part. Speaking of animals, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, th- I was talking about the anteater. Yeah, that was uh, that was something really where where I I was really heavily focused on that episode in the moment and. 
I think taking myself away from that episode and realizing that it didn't have a huge impact on the story, that it was more self-contained in terms of its journey for Matt. And unlike, I think, uh, the the crazy whitefellow-thinking episode from this season, which seemed to be probably people's least favorite episode from this season, and maybe least favorite from seasons two or three combined. Interesting. I, and I, I liked it. It's fine. I like that episode a ton. I haven't thought about where to rank that or where I would put that on the scale. But I love the contained story that I love the contained story with Matt and Laurie. And that was the guy I was talking about. I right. love that story for Matt. I, the conversation he has with David Burton uh, slash a.k.a. God in, in the wheelchair on top of the boat and everything that goes on there. Uh, and just Matt's self-realization, the acting by Christopher Eccleston in that episode, the bonkers and bananas ending of that episode, uh, literally being mauled to death by a lion and the way Matt took that in and just turned around and responded. Matt's fanaticism about getting to Australia and how that related with Lori and with uh, Michael and with Kevin and everybody that was there. I, I just... I really, really, really love that episode. It was a bonkers journey throughout the world and throughout the world of The Leftovers. And Eccleston's acting in that episode and just everything about it really still is, is really humming for me. So, yeah, still very, 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 very high on that episode. Yeah, just looking at the eight episodes from season three, just to, I, I've been harping on something you'd said earlier. I do think that you probably have to run crazy white fella thinking last, but I love that episode. Yeah, I guess it speaks to the power of season three, that the the episode we probably ranked last was still an episode we really, really liked. Yeah, uh, I love that episode. I think that episode's great, but I totally get why there were people who were out on it. You know, it is it is such a, a side tangent, and does Senior really amount to a ton in the end? Maybe not, but I enjoyed spending time with him. Well, I think this speaks to something larger about The Leftovers, and I think it speaks to maybe what people are getting hung up on when they wanted something different out of the finale, which is that this is a world where the incident that starts the show, the inciting incident, if you will, is the departure. It's the 2% leaving, and it's us not being able to explain that. And then the show is the aftermath of that, in the micro and the macro, in the forest and the trees, in the level from a 1,000 foot to 10 foot, how the world has changed at large and how it has changed in individual people's lives, how it causes them to question everything about their world and their role in it. Is this my fault? Did I do something wrong? Should I be trying to, uh, to, to cross over into something? The Holy Wayne part of that story, we didn't like as much in season one, but that was telling a tale about how People needed answers and they needed something. And what Holy Wayne was providing them was something, whether it was hokum or whether it was something fake or whatever psychobabble that he was putting forward. It did seemingly provide value to people, whether it was Senator Buddy Garrity all the way on down to Nora Durst. There was value. Sometimes it could be clear the value was fleeting. It wasn't like that cured Nora Durst. It wasn't like that cured Tommy Garvey. It wasn't like that cured the people that were in Holy Wayne's direct orbit. But it did provide them value. And I think that that's, uh, there are episodes called Solace for Tired Feet. Like this is, this is a show where these people just need something. They need a break. They're looking for answers. And they're not always going to be able to find those answers. So localizing, it's not diminished expectations is the key to find happiness it's about localizing what they choose to focus on that will allow them to find some solace in this world to find some respite to find some ability to move on in a world where they're never going to be able to answer what happened they're never going to be able to answer whether it was their fault in some way what they might have had to do with it what it meant about god they're not getting those answers and so 
what we see from each individual character, whether it's Matt with his spiritual journey or Kevin Sr. with his madness journey or whatever it is, is they're striving for that. And what what different kinds of people will put in place to try to provide those answers. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the parable about the world at large that we live in. Even though we haven't had a 2% style departure event, we have things that are inexplicable, that we have no answer for, that happen in our micro lives on a daily basis, that happen in our macro lives on a daily basis. And what we can do, like the characters in The Leftovers, is we can find different answers or different abilities to try to answer those questions. And we might not find successful ones. We have to keep trying doors until we find that they're open. And maybe we're going to be happiest if we just say, we're here now. Like, yeah, all those things happen, but let's focus on where we are right now. Let's not concern ourselves with the nitpicking of everything that happened in the past. Let's try to focus on where we are now and move forward from where we're at. And I like The Leftovers as that being sort of the general theme of the show. And as a result, like, I, I don't care. I don't feel like crazy white fellow thinking is wasted time because it is an exploration into what one person's mania in the face of the departure looks like and how they're going to try to find their answers in that world. And it sounds crazy, and it doesn't have to ever be real for us to appreciate that this is what this guy's going through. And the fact that Scott was so good, I almost said Scott Foley, that Scott Glenn was so good in Love those Scott moments. Love Scott Foley, though. Yeah, that's this guy, yeah he's a handsome devil. Uh, that, Scott, that Scott Glenn was so good in those moments. All that does to me is just add more value to that episode. And I, we've got like a guy lighting himself on fire in the desert, tying itself to the larger story, but also in the moment, just being bonkers. And like, why is this guy doing this? Oh, that's right. Because we live in a world where crazy things are happening and people are reacting very negatively to this thing. So I, I really, I don't think any episode is wasted in that regard. Maybe save the first four where I don't think like they were sure about the stories that they wanted to tell and the themes right. they wanted to present. Yeah. Other than that, I think think that no episode is wasted as a result yeah i was gonna say like i mean i haven't i haven't even attempted to like rank the episodes of the leftovers that'd be so difficult for me to do because i love so many of them so much and kind of evenly basically starting at guest you know basically starting at episode six and moving forward i still think that you would probably you, you might be able to rank season one but i would have a really hard time ranking seasons two and three but if i were to to give that a whirl the only thing that i know off the top of my head is that the first four episodes of the whole show would be somewhere in the bottom four uh in some order i just don't know what other than that like gun to my head what's the best episode or what's your favorite episode of the show right now i've been saying the finale because it's the one that is most recent on my mind and it, it was so satisfying for me that i think that that's going to be the one um at least for now but there's also an international assassin there's lens there's no room at the end there's so many good episodes so it's it, it to me it's a little bit of a fruitless exercise but uh i don't know fruitless exercises can be fun as well <laughs> I prefer to exercise without fruit for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, Luke from Australia says, now that the show is over, are there any characters from either season one who didn't make the trip to Miracle or season two who we didn't have enough time for that you wish we could have explored more in the show? Josh, you've got you get to create three more episodes of The Leftovers. Uh, who are you focusing on? I definitely would love a Jill Garvey episode. I really would like to see, uh, you know, what Margaret Qualley could have done if she had been in the spotlight, if she had had her own front and center episode at one point in time. I think that that would have been really nice 
Do you think that there is any utility? Because we talk about those first four episodes and a lot of what's going on in, in season one, especially, is seeing how the, how nihilistic uh, the teenagers have become in light of this horrible event that's happened. It's like, well, life doesn't matter. Let's just sex choke each other all the time. Uh, do you? And let's let's slam ourselves into refrigerators and just right. be shitheads and burn baby Jesus and everything that they're doing. Do you think that there's there would actually be some value because we get to the point where we're seven years out by the end. We're six years later. Later, Joe Garvey's in college. Uh, is she becoming a doctor, by the way? Who knows? Uh, it, it, six years later, do you think there's any value from like a societal standpoint, taking a look at where those kids are now and seeing like, okay, this is the next generation of people who are basically growing up having only known a post-departure world? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't expect that we would ever go back to the BBA, for instance. Like, once we got into season two and we had left Mapleton behind, I really didn't think that we would ever see that character back on the show. We wouldn't see Dean again, and then we did, and I thought that ultimately it was pretty satisfying. So I, I would, I'm, I'm, car- I, I'm a little like cautious to to say outright, like I don't need to see the Frost twins ever again. Like, let me I would- let me interrupt you. Yeah, let me interrupt you for a second, only because it, it was satisfying with the BBA because we saw that in the six years he had evolved. He wasn't right. shooting dogs anymore shooting at people and he was taking this to a whole new level his mania and his madness had descended so i think that that was a really smart thing to do and i'm sure we talked about this at the time to localize like this is the world we're in now like the things the stakes that we set in season one they had the ball is down the court like we have advanced the thing like we were moving this story forward and the characters who were who, who were just dog shooters in season one are literally insane people trying to kill humans in season three so if the kids were how they were in season one uh, right. what would they be like in season three i think there's some interesting value in that there might be there might be and that's the thing is what i'm saying is through the bba like having him back on the show that ended up being a real unexpected delight like that right. ended up being really really good uh, in my opinion and maybe the frost twins or you know going back and seeing what was her friend's name amy something yeah, like amy. that yeah, you know amy. amy you know maybe that would be fun you know maybe and certainly in season three the leftovers writing was a lot sharper than what uh what it was back in season one in my opinion um in terms of uh, their understanding of the world and how to express the tone and everything like that so it could be like in that same way like it could, could be kind of redemptive of some of those earlier episodes that being said, like I don't know that I'd be really itching to spend that time on those characters. Uh, I think that there would be other Jill Garvey stories potentially to tell, like Jill Garvey in college, like that. Right. Could, you know, exp- that could further that same idea of you know what was what was life like for these you know these high school students what's life like for college students now and you like you don't necessarily need to see the frost twins in order to see that or maybe like a frost twin is comes at college vi- or, yeah. she comes vis- or she he comes to visit yeah right. er, yeah there's that and there the bow that we never did finally draw is i don't think we ever we got a little bit of it with one conversation but i don't think we ever saw the in between and i think there might be value in what's going on with Lori and and jill because that was so much of a story in season one. The right. lighter and everything with that. Jill coming to the guilty remnant house. Lori blaming herself. And in season two, they weren't speaking. By the end of season two, they're in the same place at the same time at the the, the Garvey household. Uh, when Kevin returns home, uh, you're home. Like, that's great. But I don't think we ever got caught up on the in-between. Like, what did they do to repair their relationship? They just seem totally breezy in the scuba scene when they're talking about what's that what's the name of that show and everything like uh, filling in these gaps 
perhaps, uh, but we don't uh, we don't really have that the in between on that. And I think there would have been an opportunity to show what their relationship is really like. And speaking of more uh, showing more depth of relationship, what about Erica Murphy? We we would yeah. love to have an Erica Murphy episode. Yeah, right? I was going to say just the Murphys in general, but especially Erica, who only had one scene in this final season, which was a great final scene for her. And a really, you know, you didn't need a lot more to just know that Erica's doing okay. Like Erica is now living her life, and Erica's fine. Um, I would have loved to have seen more Regina King. I would love to see more Kevin Carroll. You know, I would love to see these people on my screen a little bit more. Uh, John Murphy and Michael Murphy, they were both, you know, really supporting characters this season. After season two was the Murphy season, where so much was threaded through those characters. So I think structurally with The Leftovers, I'm not mad that the Murphy season is sort of like the middle season. And things start to reshift a lot more onto the Garvey of it all and to Nora Durst again with that final season. And uh, Michael and John are really just, you know, helping things along in that regard. And their stories are a little bit finished or at least they're a little bit ancillary. But if they could have had their own episode, of course, like I would really, really be interested in seeing a little bit more of that. Like, how did um, how did John and Lori get together? Like to like really go and see a little bit of that and to see the two of them. And what are John's thoughts on on the marriage? And what's John's relationship with Erica like these days? And how is John grieving Evie? Um, so that would all be stuff that I would really like to see from John's perspective. Grieving be- Evie. That being said, like through you know, in mentioning Evie, I think the 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 answer you you'd asked for three, right? So if you've got uh, if you've got Jill as somebody who I would really like to spend more time on, the Murphys at large is is the second, and then the third. Maybe I wouldn't have blown up the guilty remnant. Like maybe that's one thing. Like I, I, I would I would be interested to see like Meg still alive in this world and Evie still alive in this world in season three. Like, I don't know, some sort of Hannibal Lecter something going on, you know, like go and check in on them in prison and, and see what's going on in, in that sector of the world, you know, in, in, of the leftovers in that corner of the universe. Like what's happening to criminals and what's happening to terrorists even. Like I think that that could have been interesting. Meg overall all you know it's a very it's always been a very curious use of Liv Tyler on this show where I think it ended up being really effective in season two where she's sitting out for most of the season and then she pops up and it's like oh damn she's scary um but then to just like so swiftly remove her from the stage in season three I at the time you know my you know the hair on the back of my neck stood up a little bit my eyebrows were arched a little bit of like okay we're just gonna kill Meg right away and then she doesn't show up again until the second international assassin. Um, that's still a choice that I don't know that I loved. Um, I'm not furious with it by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I would be down to see more of Meg and to see a little bit more of Evie. And I, I'm on that board. I, I'm, I would like to see maybe if there was a way to do that with an episode set in Mapleton in general. I wouldn't be against that. Mapleton being such a prevalent part of season one and the stories that they were telling there, not necessarily any of the individuals there, but just to see what Mapleton looks like seven years later, to see what Mapleton has become. There was this horrible incident with the guilty remnant. The Garveys left the town. Uh, the people that were the core of our story in that city are gone. Did Mapleton deteriorate? Did it fall apart? 
hard did it grow? I liked lensing the world of the leftovers through that small town. We did not get that in season three. We got it in a different way in season two. So I think that if I could have had an episode in Mapleton in some way where a character goes back, maybe Nora goes back to visit a family. Maybe we take Mary there when Mary goes back and we visit and see it through her eyes. I wouldn't have minded seeing Mapleton again as a character and, and finding a way to bring in all those sub characters in Mapleton just because what was going on in that town, the people that lived there, throwing rocks at the guilty remnant, the riot, uh, trying to bring the city together, and the what we knew about Mapleton as a town in general, what we saw. I, I wouldn't have minded seeing Mapleton again on this show. I think it would have been a very interesting place to revisit. So I think you could find a way maybe to put a lot of those things together and bring that together in that way. I'm not disagreeing with you about the guilty remnant at all. I'm actually fascinated to think about what the guilty remnant is like seven years out. Is it dead? Did it grow? Did it spread? Right. We saw the counter protesters uh, in the beginning of season three with the remember them. uh, And they were basically saying, like, remember the victims. And they were not wearing white. They were wearing red. They were wearing the names on their shirts. So there's clearly uh, these sub movements that are growing as a result of what happened to the guilty remnant. Has that movement been fully martyred because the government blew them up? And to what extent has that spread? There are interesting stories to tell in that realm as well. So I wouldn't have minded that. How about another character, Josh, that sort of disappeared from the realm? Brendan Fitzpatrick. Patrick said any speculation on what happened to Grace Playford in the ensuing years and the ensuing years between episode seven and eight. She's not mentioned at all. Jail goes to jail. 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 Yes. Lock her up. Lock her up. Yeah. She's she's jailed. She's jailed. Didn't mean to trigger anybody there. She goes she goes directly to prison. Yeah. I think Grace Playford is in jail. I mean, she even said. Yeah. Yeah. She's ready. She's going to do it. So she's in jail for murdering Kevin. Yeah. 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 She's taking the heat on that. I think for sure. Neon Smith says, I just wanted to make one small call out about the finale. Did anyone else notice how eerily similar the junior Sarah T scene was to the senior Grace T scene in front of the window? What could that be alluding to? Possibly that Kevin and Nora have become their elders with similar character idiosyncrasies? Um, I think I think that the idea that they are, you know, they're kind of the elder statesmen of the show at that point, I think, is definitely something. Um yeah, I mean, just like thinking about that visually, those scenes are very, very similar. Uh, I don't know. Does that have some resonance for you? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I like that idea. I like the idea that uh, there are these deep heart to heart conversations that are occurring in Australia with tea and windows and that they are between a senior Garvey uh, and a woman who was specifically impacted in a big way by the departure, whether or not it was a direct departure or not, uh, and hasn't been able to move on from that and is stuck on that. I think that there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of there, there are loose connections, if nothing else. There are thematic connections. And I like the idea that now we're seeing, even though senior is still alive, uh, Kevin Jr., himself has aged Nora has aged they are older and they are wiser and Nora looks a little more like Grace Playford than she used to so there are those connections and I I, I like that because Grace Playford was never able to move on Kevin Sr. was really hung up by what happened and we're seeing now in this moment Nora moving on and Kevin Jr. not being crazy anymore and I like the idea that maybe there is a hope for for this world that you don't have to end up like Grace and Kevin that if you're able to confront these things and deal with them that you can end up like Kevin and Nora and maybe be happy about where you are at the time so I like that that just adds to the happiness of the ending to think about the the synergy or the the parallels between those two stories speaking of parallels just a couple more questions here right before we wrap up Josh Tim Sears says I thought it was a good ending I'm curious about the symbolism of the pigeon as relates to the scenes of the Millerites that were introduced in the beginning of this season and related Alex Kidwell the great Alex Kidwell who produces all of these podcasts for us here with the leftovers Alex Kidwell says 
So who's the Millerite woman? It's us, right? What about the Millerites, Josh? Any interesting thoughts about the Millerites this far out? And what do you think about what Tim says? Well, I mean, I hadn't really thought about the Millerite. Are, are we are we the Millerite on the roof? I mean, you and I have been recording all of these podcasts from the roofs of our homes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, forgot about that. Good call. Good call. Good point. So, I mean, that, that that's now taking on some new meaning for me. <laughs> it's a very different situation that you find yourself in compared to my roof. Yeah, we're in very different parts of the world here. Uh, but yeah, that is a. I think we're the Millerites. Look, the Millerites were were standing up on the roof in belief, expecting that something was going to happen, and they slowly stopped standing on the roof because they stopped believing because it wasn't happening. And the woman was steadfastly holding against that, expecting this thing to come that never came. There is certainly a lot of uh, symbolism there as relates to viewers of a show, right? You're expecting a certain thing to be delivered to you that you, for whatever reason, I think, Josh, if we're anybody, we're the guy who's drawing the equations on the board, Uh who's trying to explain to people, like, this is what we think is going to happen, and here's when we think it's going to happen, and we're consistently proven wrong throughout. And the listeners are the Millerite women standing on top of the roof, like, okay, am I going to stick with these guys as they're continuously wrong about everything? Uh, But yeah, that is... Is a, Except I think we were so right, like almost all of the time. Oh yeah, obviously we just nailed it over and over and over again, uh, just repeatedly, re- clearly. That's why Kevin Senior became the Messiah, uh, and Kevinism became the the story of season three. And that was the Book of Nora really upset Nora because it reminded her of uh, of everything that happened with Kevin. And she was hiding out because she wanted nothing to do with this great religion that had grown in Australia around Kevin Gore. Yeah, we were right all the time. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, I think that there is a lot of i just think that's from the heavy from the department of metaphor that is very much like if you expect answers and you steadfastly hold your beliefs out you're going to alienate yourself from a lot of people who are going to bail before you do and if you're still a viewer of the leftovers in season three hopefully you're not somebody who jumped off the roof because you expected an answer that didn't come earlier or you expected the show to be something it wasn't so i really like that we also see that moment with nora in the finale where she climbs up onto the roof of the bird area looking for her birds, looking for the answers to come, looking for this thing that she expects that isn't happening. So there is that parallel with Nora as well. I think it's one of those scenes that serves many masters, and that's the beauty of The Leftovers, is the scene doesn't just have a one-to-one parallel sometimes. It has a one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one. It can mean many things. And I think this Millerite scene certainly did that for me. Yeah. All right, Josh, anything else that you want to hit before we transition out here? Ah, man. I mean, we could probably spend hours just talking about the leftovers, but uh, I mean, I got to get back to work. (laughs) Just just full disclosure. Me too. Obviously very busy. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but that that we we could, we could, and we could spend hours talking about lots of TV shows for sure. And we have, we do here at post show recaps. Josh, we just spent some time talking about another show with some religious overtones. What about preacher? Yeah. You and I just did a little quick podcast about preacher. I mean, one of the things that we want to do this summer as we're looking at, you know, there's a lot of game of Thrones that's going to be happening here on post show recaps and just in the world in general pretty soon here but we want to keep the the summer podcasting alive and robust and well so we've been talking about doing a few one-offs on some of the shows that maybe we haven't been podcasting about that we probably will never be able to get a chance to podcast about weekly but it's a good time to do some catch-up so we started with preacher uh the other week preacher just had its season two premiere uh the first two episodes of season two are out there now actually by the time you're listening to this the first three episodes uh so we have a podcast that 
covers the first two episodes, plus some conversation about the first season and just broad discussions of Preacher as well. And we're going to have some other shows that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks, Antonio. Yeah, this is a comment from Travis Casey. Travis says, not sure if you guys have been following this season's Fargo, which I believe has just recently ended, but there was a pretty great scene in last week's episode that captured the essence of the final Leftovers moment. Without being too spoilery, another character is sitting across the table from Carrie Coon and delivers the line, a lie's not a lie if you believe it's true. Do you think that? To which Carrie simply replies, it's not my story. I know these are two completely different shows, but I couldn't help but see Nora Durst in that moment and reflect back on the Leftovers season finale. I'm sure others did the same. Even the episode of Fargo before this one had a very Leftovers slash International Assassin Hotel scene. So, Josh, Fargo, Carrie Coon was was the star of the season of Fargo. We heard there are many connections to the leftovers throughout. Neither of us have watched Fargo. Is this something you think we could talk about at some point? I think it's something we could talk about at some point. I mean, we did do some Fargo podcasting way back in the day, and our good buddy Jeremiah Panhorst carried the torch forward with Mike Bloom over at the Jay and Jack Network. So hopefully you guys, if you had been missing our Fargo coverage, were paying attention to what those guys are doing. But I think you and I might be able to put our heads together to talk about Fargo if we binge watch the whole thing. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like one we might be able to hit uh, this summer uh, before the fall starts. Uh, how about this from Dominic Malpiedi? Dominic says, hey, Josh and the great Antonio in the sky, you would ask for suggestions for a show you could do after The Leftovers, and I would like to recommend for your consideration a Legion podcast for season one on FX. I'm not sure if either of you have seen it, but it's a fantastic show that is ripe for deep dive podcast and something I know you'll love. I've seen season four, season one four times, Dominic says, Wow, and catch different things each time it is visually stunning and has great characters please give it a try thank you guys for all the great podcasts josh legion has something in common with fargo does it not uh legion does have something in common with fargo in the form of noah hawley who is the creator and showrunner of both of those shows uh i've seen all of legion legion was really fun i would love to talk about some legion if you're down to catch up antonio yeah, I'm going to have to get that Legionnaire's disease. Yeah, uh, I will. Uh, I'll try. I, I, if you liked it, if Dominic liked it, I, I've seen other great things uh, people saying about Legion. I actually have watched the first two episodes. I thought they were very trippy and mind bendy. And uh, I'm a fan of Noah Hawley. I'm a fan of this kind of material. So that seems likely that that'll be one we might get to. Uh, anything else you want to maybe tease a little bit here, Josh? Anything else we might want to or not? Yeah, another another show that I'd been watching was American Gods this uh, this past year, which I felt like would be a really difficult show to podcast on the week by week, but I think we could t- we could have a good conversation about it in total. I don't think you watched any American Gods, did you? Haven't seen it. All I've heard is penises. The penises. There are definitely penises on that show. Uh, there are all sorts of body parts on that show. Um, it is based on a Neil Gaiman novel that uh, I really, really adored when it came out many, many moons ago. Um, and the the show is uh, it's a thing, uh, and there's definitely things to discuss there. Uh, so I'd love to get your hot takes on that if you have time this summer to catch up on American Gods. I will. I will hopefully do that. Uh, this summer has been fill, uh, filled with a lot of highlights. Uh, maybe the leftovers was certainly one of the peaks of the uh, of the summer. Uh, and I've certainly been searching for another one. Uh, so maybe we can uh, we can find some way to find uh, find something like that uh, this summer. That would be great. Yeah, so we've got a few other shows that we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to do some of these one-offs coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, And it'll be fun. I'm excited. And if you guys have suggestions for shows that we haven't talked about just now or haven't talked about at all and you would like to hear our takes on, and if Antonio and I agree, then we will certainly take it under consideration. You can send those suggestions to us at posterrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form, and that is the best way to get your suggestions to us other than Twitter. Twitter, of course, is also another way you can reach out to us. 
us. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. I'm at Rand Howard. Yes, and you're like the director of the Han Solo standalone film, but rounder. That's that's true. The that's current right. director. Yes, current uh, director. we are we are in that timeline now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Lord Miller. Uh, yeah, so this is ulti- Lord Millerites. Yeah, this is where we are. Uh, yeah, so there we do. We have a hashtag for this episode, Josh. Uh, I, didn't write it. I didn't write any down. Maybe Earth Two Percent. I think Earth Two Percent is pretty yes, good. Thank you, Charles Bickle. Yeah, Earth Two Percent sounds yeah, good to me. Tell us everybody who's in Earth Two Percent and what does that world look like. We would love to know. Can you um, put a percent? Yeah, you can do hashtag Earth Two and then the percent sign. Hopefully that'll work. I don't know if that'll work or if you have to spell out percent. You know, you guys can test it and you can let us know. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we uh, we're that. I, if we missed any animals that uh, that needed des- that deserve their own uh, shout out here, I guess we didn't talk about the goats. Josh, uh, the goats of the leftovers. Uh, Carrie Coon is the goat, obviously. She but is clearly. She's but clearly there are the there are actual goats on the leftovers, so that was a big one. Uh, and if we missed any animals, or if uh, if there's anything else related to the leftovers that you really feel burning need to send in, please do. Uh, we I'm, I don't mean to uh, I don't mean to downplay that. It's possible something someone will send in will spark a need in Josh and I to talk about it uh, and to build a whole podcast around it i'm not promising that but your feedback is certainly always welcome about this show uh and who knows uh, who knows what could happen one day and if we didn't uh read your comment or your feedback on this podcast we were certainly very thankful we did read it it was something that we comprehended uh and we just didn't fit into the time that we had for this time so thank you to everyone who sent feedback in uh, for this episode and throughout the season and really throughout all seasons of our leftovers podcast thank you to scott st pierre for editing the early seasons and certainly to Alex Kidwell for everything he did. Thank you to Rob Sesternino uh, for the times he popped in, Josh, and took the heat away from you uh, for the things that Rob was willing to stand out uh, and plant a flag on. So we certainly appreciated that. And I'm very thankful to everybody uh, who listened to this podcast throughout. Uh, very, very, very thankful uh, to everybody who spent the time. Thanks to AJ Mass as well, our great friend uh, who popped in on a couple of these episodes and who really had some great thoughts to offer about this show. Uh, who else, Josh? Who am I for getting uh carrie coon justin thoreau yeah, i wake up every morning thankful for them for damon sure. damon lindelof like all the people that were involved tom parada everybody involved in making this show and uh i don't know thank your your like your universal deity of choice uh that this show ended so well and was so 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 satisfying all the way through uh and that we got the chance to talk about it from start to finish is is a really really cool thing and i am so stoked that we got the chance to to meet over this thing antonio we've got plenty of other irons in the fire that we're going to be cooking up in the years ahead i'm sure uh and thanks to all of you guys who stuck around for all of it the people who've been in in this from the beginning with us uh uh, those of you who hopped in along the way, all of that. It's its really mind-blowing that, uh, that Antonio and I get to do this, and uh, to have your support means the world to both of us. It really does, and I'm, I'm, I'm still getting tweets uh, from people who are just now catching up, and I'm glad that these podcasts will be there. If you're one of those people and it's years later or if it's any time, thank you. Thank you. You're very special, and we appreciate it. Even though we didn't get your feedback throughout, we certainly am glad or are glad that you're, that you're listening to the podcast, and hopefully it's enhancing your experience watching the show in a dated way. This is a weird world we live in now, Josh, where years later this might uh, be somebody, somebody, something someone can pick up uh, and find value in, so hopefully that is the case. 
And if you're one of those people, uh, hopefully we're still around. Uh, we haven't died or departed in some way. Oh, God. Uh, gone to join Anthony Bourdain. Hopefully the world hasn't disappeared uh, and you're not in some hellscape where you're like ri- riding some kind of bicycle to charge the battery on your iPod that you had these episodes downloaded on uh, and that, that you're starving for content. Hopefully it's not some post-apocalyptic hellscape uh, where you're Kevin Sr. in your way through the world. So uh, thank you to everyone again. Uh, and yeah, I'm so glad, Josh, that we got to do this. It's great. And uh, looking forward. You said meat and irons and uh, and fire, and it made me think of steak and, and eating food. So that's what I'm going to go do now. It is about lunchtime. So let's go take care of that. Thank you guys again. Such a fun time. Sad to see you go, leftovers, but I love to watch you leave. All right. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Off to upstate New York time. Everybody is wondering what and where they all came from. Everybody is worrying about where they're going to go when the whole thing's done. But no one knows for certain, and so it's all the same to me. I think I'll just let the mystery be. Some say once gone, you're gone forever, and some say you're going to come back. Some say you rest in the arms of the Savior if in sinful ways you lack. Some say that they're coming back in a garden Bunch of carrots and little sweeties I think I'll just let the mystery be